everybody and welcome start that who knows people could be listening <laughs> during the morning right hello everybody and welcome to the pod and the pendulum the horror movie podcast covering all franchises one movie in one episode at a time i am one of your hosts mike snoonian and i have a couple fantastic co-hosts with me today to talk about this movie first up we have from Halloweenies and the Losers Club, uh, and you've also read her articles on sites like Rue Morgue, Daily Grindhouse, Dread Central. Let's welcome back Rachel Reeves. How are we tonight, Rachel? Oh, I am great. I am super excited to talk about this film. I kind of forgot how much I enjoy it till I started watching it. I was like, oh yeah, this movie rules. So yes, very excited to be here. This whole franchise has been an absolute delight, and I did not expect that. Because I had so many gaps in my child's play. Well, and I've never done like a whole franchise watch like back mm-hmm. to back. And this has been a really fun ride, like actually yeah. following along with you guys and like watching them all in order, which mm-hmm. I've never done before, which is very odd for me. So, yeah, being able to revisit some of these and watch some of them for the first time and seeing mm-hmm. how they all flow together has been just a delight. <laughs> it has been. Speaking of a delight. We have the host of the Bloody Blunts Cinema Club, as well as the Breaking Waves video podcast, Mr. Devon Taylor. Hello, hello. Coming in for the first two of the series, then coming in for the last two of the series. I am your friend till the end. Heidi Ho. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. So, excellent. So we are here tonight to talk about The Cult of Chucky, which for some child's play fans i think they would call this the last movie in the series no it is the last don mancini and david kirshner produced film uh mancini stepping behind the director's chair and writing once again uh before the the original timeline shifts over to uh television with the chucky series i for one am a fan of the remake i really enjoy the remake um but we're not here to talk about that tonight. We are here to talk about cult. And I would like to start off by asking everyone's first impressions. So, Rachel, what were your, your first time you watched this movie and what was your initial impression of it? Yeah. So the first time I watched this, I think it's when it originally came out and I think it was on Netflix or something mm-hmm. as like part of the release. So that's where I watched it for the first time. I... This is one of them I saw out of order. I had not seen some of the earlier installments, but was aware of the reputation. But this one looked a little different. So I was curious. So I Mm -hmm. pushed play and was like, oh, this is like, wait, this is not what I was expecting. Like Mm -hmm. I was expecting more like Bride of Chucky vibes, like because I wasn't sure. I hadn't seen Curse at that time. So Mm -hmm. I wasn't sure about where this franchise was going. And this immediately like hooked me back in because I was I was impressed. 
I guess okay. is my first impression. How lost were you watching this without having seen Curse? I wasn't, which I thought was interesting seeing where I was at with it. I thought they did a pretty good job about explaining some things mm-hmm. and then just I don't know, I guess it's part of being a horror fan or just being like a you know, a movie nerd is like you're constantly looking for those like callbacks and easter eggs. So mm-hmm. I feel like I'm pretty good about, you know, like oh, this person is that person and this is from this and there were some things in this one that I did pick up on that I don't think I quite picked up on the first time I saw it, you know, but little things, but not major narrative points. I thought they did a pretty good job at Mm -hmm. making sense of it. I think I said this. I was lost. Really? Yeah, I I was lost. I guess I didn't. I I, I will say, I don't think I understood the full weight of some Mm -hmm. of these things. Like Nika, obviously being the biggest (laughs) character, I I didn't understand because I hadn't seen Curse. Like I didn't Mm -hmm. understand her character fully, but I thought they did a pretty good job about being like, remember when you murdered your whole family? Do you remember that? So it was kind of like, I don't know. I put two and two together and just acknowledged and I knew that I hadn't seen everything. So I guess I was probably more just accepting Mm -hmm. of that. That makes sense. I mean, it isn't Rashomon that we're watching here. So, I mean, it is still a (laughs) slasher movie about a pint-sized doll or dolls in this case. Uh, Devon, how about yourself? Yeah. um, As I mentioned in the last episode, this was the one that kind of got me to fill in my blind spots initially while I saw this coming out because I hadn't seen Curse and I still hadn't seen like a few of them in the series. I think just, um, just three and then um, I kind of like went back and like did my like refill in to like get to here because I was like, OK, I was like multiple Chucky's like I'm in now, like I'm back. Like so like this was kind of what motivated me to come back in and it, now rewatching it, like even after I did like my like series rewatch like a year and a half ago, I guess now after the series happens, um, it brought this one down a little bit for me only because this was like you could when you go back and watch this now you can totally see that they were kind of this was a second movie planned in like another trilogy yeah like they were they were trying to do this trilogy with curse cult and they were gonna have another one but then when the remake happened it kind of got derailed um and then but if the remake didn't happen we wouldn't have got the tv series i love the tv series but um, as far as just some of the like, you know, um, some of the narrative points in this now with where we're at in the series don't exactly line up, even mm-hmm. with like certain, you know, actors being in uh, both of them. And uh, so it's like when you go back and rewatch it now and like after the series, um, it not as good because this definitely feels like this was like a middle movie, like building to something. And I remember being excited for that, like being like oh man, we're getting like this whole new Chucky trilogy and and like had me very like re-energized about the franchise. Um, But I guess like now on it, it, it's still very good, still very fun. Um, And I like a lot of the things that they were playing with in this one that would go on to like kind of continue on and like, and, and also interesting in the way that they, you know, even though this has continued the same continuity the whole time, they're mm-hmm. they also aren't hard on themselves about being perfect about it either like you know they can sometimes take certain pieces uh leave others you know and uh this one definitely um has like a lot of easter eggs like back to it 
but then as when they're kind of going forward they only like kind of took certain things out of this one to like kind of continue on into the series so it's interesting um that we do have um this solid continuity but again they're also not super sticklers about it which i think you can get away with in in a horror series so um but yeah so i'm excited to uh, dig back into this one it's it's wild how as horror fans like we love the movies of the 80s and the franchises of the 80s and like it's like continuity schmontinuity like we give those movies like such passes like you think of like friday the 13th and you think of part two three and four and how like technically they take place like basically over a long weekend Mm -hmm. and we give it like absolutely zero thought whatsoever um but when it comes to like modern series, like we are, you know, like all like students of the Zabruder film, you know, we're like going over everything with a fine tooth comb and we're willing to we want to trip people up. It's so wild to me. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's kind of funny, like when now when a new film comes out. There's now social media graphics that are like, okay, just so you know what the timeline is like, yeah. like this is what's going on. Like we've mm-hmm. gotten that with Halloween Texas Chainsaw on them. Sure, they'll do it with um Predator with the new Predator and Evil Dead movies we have coming mm-hmm. out as well. So yeah, um, uh, yeah, that's this is where we're at right now. So I caught this movie when it premiered on Netflix, and it wasn't even something where I'm like, oh man, new Chucky movie. I can't wait. It was literally, let me open Netflix. Oh, there's a new Chucky movie. Like what the fuck? Like I had no idea that one was even coming out. Um, I did not know that curse of Chucky even existed. And you know, what's wild to me is you can watch curse of Chucky and not have seen any of the other child play movies and been okay watching it like it mm-hmm. does act as a really good sequel but soft reboot of yeah. the series as whole like mm-hmm. it's a good starting off point i was so lost watching this movie uh, <laughs> yeah. the first time when it first came out i'm like i have n- i don't even think i finished it because i'm like okay i'm definitely missing something here and then when i bought the box set in 2020 when it was like all seven movies on sale for like 20 bucks on blue um and i opened it up i'm like oh there is a movie and i don't even think i'd even watched all of seed at that point i'm like there's a whole other movie in between seed and cult like who knew um and then i ended (laughs) up watching that and it made so much more sense to me um but what impressed me watching this after watching the six movies before it and then also watching the chucky tv series is how solid of an entry it is uh, and how much care and detail went into making sure that the mythology mostly adds up while also adding new components to it. So I wanted to pose to you and I have a few of them written down here. When you think about other part sevens in horror movie series, how off the rails they go Typically, a horror movie series, you can get like a solid three movies out of it, sometimes four. It's usually by part five, you go off the rails a bit, like things get just fucked up. I mean, you think of like um, Halloween five, the revenge of Michael Myers, right? You're like, that's one of the worst ones in the series. Dream Child, Nightmare on Elm Street. That is, to me, the low point of the series. 
uh friday the 13th a new beginning like nope hard pass on that one um so i had some part sevens here and you let me know where you think this would rank in terms of like cult of chucky or the other movie i mentioned so friday the 13th part seven the new blood i mean i dig that one because i'm not i'm not super attached to um the the friday 13th series Mm -hmm. really um but i like the ones that have the identifiers to them so it's like the ones that i like it's the one where are in space the one where he's against freddy and the one where he's versus diet carry um and but not worm but not worm jason oh well worm jason is fun too i actually i actually like that one as well it has Mm -hmm. some has some really good gore in that one but yeah i mean like but jason versus a um a a, um telepathic Mm -hmm. yeah psychokinetic whatever gal is pretty fun i i like it I th- I think this is better. I think Cold of Chucky's better. Agree. I'm not a oh, big fan. Oh, which of... is better, this one? But yeah, well, which which would you pop in? Not even what's better, but like what would you pop in? Oh no, this one. I thought you were okay. just saying like as far as like part sevens go, because there mm-hmm. just isn't very many. Like yeah, right. like I'll give Friday that. Oh, it, there's it, a lot. It is a solid one at least. There's a lot. But... That's the thing. It's like by this point in time, like it's like you either have to. Well, you do you do what they did here. Like you either have to like kind of reboot it in some mm-hmm. way or it's just a, a downward mm-hmm. spiral so yeah hellraiser debtor oh god see i don't even like i didn't even know that existed like the I didn't worst even know that the worst subtitle ever <laughs> yeah it is yeah we can we we know without even saying like all right cult of jockey it's like i'm gonna go out um, on a limb and say this was better yeah saw seven's not very good uh, uh, okay well weak. Wait, I mean, Saw Seven's like a greatest hits. It's barely even a yeah. movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, we all know. This is probably still better. <laughs> well, okay. I, yeah, I've not so seen. I'm, I've only seen the first two entries to Saw, as well as Jigsaw Part Eight. Um, and you know, eventually we'll run out of franchises to cover, and I'll have to do Saw. Um, so you know what? I, sign me up. I love the Saw movie. Okay. So I'm yeah. It's, it's one of those ones it's actually better when you do binge it like as the mm-hmm. like series because saw another one same continuity for the a most lot of part. continuity yeah. okay you know, which makes it very fun because it's like a mm-hmm. like a it makes it feel like a just like very gross soap opera in a way <laughs> texas chainsaw 3d this mm. one's better this is better. This, this is, is better. This is, this is better. This is better. Do your thing, cause you know that aside. Here's where it gets interesting. Halloween H two O. Oh, I might. No, <laughs> if I we're talking fun, I'm. I think that for putting in fun, I would put in H two O. But I do think that this is a better movie. Mm-hmm. Mm. I would. I would still watch this one. H2O has gone up. To be quite honest, like it's a funny thing has happened. Like I used to not be a huge H2O fan. Um, although I like the po- the New York hardcore band H2O because they're a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but H2O, the movie, to me, it got better the more I watched David Gordon Green's Halloween. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I just found thing. this like a more enjoyable watch. And David Gordon Green's movie, like I don't hate it, but it's like less enjoyable. Every time I rewatch it, so I that actually, cast H two O's cast is yo Michelle Williams and Jamie Lee and jo- isn't it Josh Josh Hartnett Josh, Josh Hartnett, Hartnett. Oh, yeah, yeah like Heart some babes 
Yeah, yeah I kind of had the same thing. Like after Halloween 2018 and Kills, I was like, what was so wrong with H2O? Yeah. H2O is fun. I like H2O. I actually, and if you ever want to he- hear me be super negative, go back and listen to Jerry and I when we do Rob Zombie's Halloween from 2007. <laughs> Although I am ride or die on his second entry. I actually like may have to revisit it this October for a show because like I actually kind of dig it now. Like surprisingly, <laughs> I'm like, hey, I was wrong about this movie. Like it's much it's better right. than I. Yeah. Anyway, if you haven't turned off the show after I've said that, here's the other one: Wes Craven's New Nightmare. I, I actually still haven't seen New Nightmare yet. I think New Nightmare is better. New Nightmare is the better movie. Yeah. But I think I would put this on first. That's a toss up. I'm going to yeah. say that that's kind of an even thing for me. Because mm-hmm. yeah, New, New Nightmare is pretty fun. Pretty right. The last one I had here was Paranormal Activity Next of Kin. I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen that one yet either. I, I really liked that. It is its own thing. I really enjoyed it. I know a lot of people were dead. I think because it only played on like Paramount Plus, which is not a Hmm. service a lot of people will pay for. Um, I really dug it. I have another one we could compare it to just for fun. Mm -hmm. Um, I would like to know you guys' opinions on Fast and Furious 7. (laughs) Oh, okay. I mean... I think that might be the best number seven. Okay, it's it's because that's I think it's my favorite of the franchise. Oh, Is man. it? Yeah, <laughs> the only rules. Fast and Furious movie I've ever seen is Hobbs and Shaw. What? Which is not Wait, all right. So me and Devon will have a spinoff, and we can okay. do we can do the Fast and Furious franchise. We'll do the for the patrons. We'll do that, and you can get. <laughs> Whatever we get from patrons on that, all right? Or oh, we can, need like, to get you me. in the. We need to get you in the family, Mike. All right, we can yeah. do that. Well, here it is. Like I know it's not technically part of this original series, but the original Creed, because that is you know because Rocky's oh, in Creed, it. Kind Creed of one and two. Oh God, I like I haven't seen Creed, Creed two. two. Oh, Creed two is perfect. Okay, mm. I was bawling i thought i mean if you're a rocky fan it's gonna just Mm -hmm. you're gonna you're gonna die die. the original rocky movie is one of those movies that makes me bawl my eyes out every time i watch it at the end okay creed 2 will do it too yeah i mean it's if you love rocky 4 you're gonna love creed 2 but what about the original creed i i mean i think it's great as well talk about like like re-energizing a Mm -hmm. you know a kind of tired story a little bit like mm-hmm. it definitely breathed new life into it i think uh star wars the force awakens i like that one a lot yeah i mean i'm not a star wars fan and i like that one quite a bit yeah and i mean same thing it's like a whole new generation of mm-hmm. i find it i'm not sure i can compare <laughs> force awakens to I cult really... of chucky i think <laughs> for the sake of argument sure you can <laughs> <laughs> why can't we um i really dug that one and i'm a star yeah i was gonna wars say nerd, that's so. i was pretty happy with it as a as a uh, well, a low-key star wars fan to devon's point cult of chucky's like because you don't get another movie after it is kind of like after empire strikes back if that came out george lucas was like you know what? Fuck it. I've already made enough in toy sales to retire on for many lifetimes. Uh, I'm not going to do Return of the Jedi and nothing yeah. ever came out. 
Hmm. I mean, the way I kind of see it is like, because like how you said, like you can watch Curse of Chucky without have watched any mm-hmm. of it. So it's like Curse of Chucky was the one that was like, okay, let's get it. Let's get some new fans in here. Like the old fans will come, but let's also get some new fans. Mm-hmm. And then this, and then Cult of Chucky with all the different Easter eggs, all the callbacks, you know, bringing Andy back in. This one was the one that was like, okay, now this one is for yeah. the old fans. So like, you know, really yeah. get everybody. In. And then it was like, okay, now we got all these new fans, got the old fans back on board. Whatever would have came after this, you know, would have been like the, the, the big shebang, I think. Excellent. And I think, Devon, that's a good way to transition into talking a little bit about the background of this movie before we dive into uh, like a, uh, an analysis of it. So basically, despite being the first entry to go straight to video, Curse of Chunky, Ch- Curse of Chunky, Curse of Chucky is pretty <laughs> successful. Um, is that like the porn parody version? <laughs> yes, Curse of the, oh. What would be... Did I mention the porn movie, Let My Puppets Come? Did I mention that here? I have not heard reference to that. There is a (laughs) porn movie starring puppets called Let My Puppets Come that I remember my ex-roommate and I met up for a movie. And he's like, as you do while you're waiting for popcorn, it's like, I saw the weirdest porn today. And I'm like, was it Let My Puppets Come? And he was like, yes, it was. So like that day, we both happened to watch puppet porn way back the, the fucking late 90s were crazy shit man they See, were... that's that is that the is that the guy equivalent to like when ladies cycles sync up now guys yeah porn syncs up. Guys that's what was happening in your house <laughs> pretty much absolutely no the so anyway oh i could go down a rabbit hole there that we won't anyway despite being the first entry to go straight to video curse is really successful and mancini gets to go ahead to start working on a follow-up movie um and this is what's interesting like mancini is one of those guys that is like always online but not in a bad way like he's not someone that starts throwing like flames at anybody but he's like got his ear to the ground And he's like, all right, the fans liked Curse of Chucky, but if there's one thing they wish, they did wish that it was gorier. So Cult of Chucky ends up being like a far, like it's the goriest entry in the whole series. I mean, you get two head stomps in this movie, which is pretty fantastic. Um, And I kind of wanted to pose the question, like what do we think of Mancini being the kind of creator that like has his own vision but isn't married to it to the point where he doesn't listen to what the fans want. I mean, I think it's a fine line. Like I hate it when, I mean, I'm not even going to say his name, right? Because his fans are so ridiculous. Like don't at me, but like, I hate it when sometimes creators get bullied into doing things. Mm -hmm. And I, and this can go for like, studios or fans or whatever like bullying creators into changing their work or releasing Mm -hmm. something they maybe didn't want to or whatever so i mean it's a fine line but i appreciate mancini's i mean he's smart Mm -hmm. like the goal is to make money and have people love your film and also like fulfill your creative vision so if you can do all three of those things by just Mm -hmm. kind of like taking certain things into consideration and working them into your bigger picture Mm -hmm. sure Like, I think it's smart. And especially if you're doing something like, I don't know, like this, that it's got, I wouldn't call it like an indie film, but it's, you know, a smaller scale thing. Like you have the luxury of doing that. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of having the best of both worlds, you know, like whenever 
he, he can still have the freedom to try out ideas that he's always wanted to do. Like, you know, like how we see here, like, you know, multiple Chucky's like kind of feels like it comes out of nowhere, but at the same time, it feels like mm-hmm. it's a natural progression, you know, for the series. Um, aside from that, you know, like him trying out his ideas, but then also still having an ear to the ground with the fans is like, you know, the, it's a way of just making everybody happy. If you can ride that line, like, you mm-hmm. know, as much as, um, you know, a lot of people say like, you know, once a property like kind of leaves the artist, it's mm-hmm. now belongs to, you know, who does it belong to at this point? But, um, you know, it's, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's a kind of like a George Clooney's, uh, you know, two for you, one for me approach. Um, mm-hmm. I've always appreciated that business yeah. model. And I feel like that's kind of what Mancini does here. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's by my count, the third kind of like course correction that he does in the series where after the first three movies, he takes a step back and goes, okay, we really can't do these as like straightforward slasher horror movies. Like that's kind of played itself out. So we need to change things up a little bit to make it fresh. And he does bride and he does seed and the fans really like them. But after seed, He's like, okay, the fans are starting to clamor for a more straightforward horror movie again. So he gives them Curse, which is his kind of old dark house movie. And then when Cult comes around, he's like, all right, we can continue the kind of tone that we're doing with Curse. We can add some of the humor back that we had with Seed and Bride. But also we need to kind of balance that by making it like a bloodier movie. Like why not do that? Since like they're going straight to video, we don't really have to worry about the MPAA and censors. We can kind of do whatever we want. Yeah. I kind of imagine like Mancini um, working on this film. And it's like kind of like a, the, a scientist like balancing out the pH is like, all right, I need a little more horror. Okay. No, that was mm-hmm. too much horror. People want more comedy again. So let's get more comedy. Yeah. And cause I'd say the tone for cult is pretty much the tone that we have for the series. Like, no. I, I like, this is the, just the right amounts of each one. Um, where there's, you know, enough comedy to let, you know, Brad Dorff's performance shine, but then also still not too much to where the comedy goes a little overboard. Like yeah. it feels like, I don't know, maybe 60, 60, 40, mm-hmm. 65, 35 in the yeah. horror department, uh, as far as, um, you know, trying to build in more, um, tension filled sequences and stuff. And, um, you know, and seeing how far they can, you know, keep stretching the creativity and like keep Chucky fresh. Yeah, agreed. I would agree with all of that. And Mancini does have some pretty out there ideas uh, in terms of like, all right, where are we going to take this movie? So one of them I called like the throw Chucky from a train uh, idea where basically <laughs> like it was going to be Chucky on a train with like a kid and like a woman who has alzheimer's so like nobody was listening to them uh so this was from an article uh with from brad miska over at bloody disgusting um mancini was quoted as saying the notion of chucky on a train i thought it would be interesting to do something where you've got this archetypal or certainly stereotypical notion of the kid who says the doll is alive and he's doing this, but the kid befriends an old lady who's also on the train. Like the old lady is the only one who will listen to this kid. And she's like, okay, tell me what you're thinking. I believe that you believe it and let's investigate it. As the story goes on, it turns out that the old lady 
and also that the old lady has early onset Alzheimer's. There's just something, another reason why other people aren't listening to her either, but she turns out to be a charmed confidant of Chucky. So I really love that idea and want to see that. Yeah. No, Mm. I love the idea of a train. I love train movies just personally. Mm -hmm. So I'm, yeah. I mean, I I like the idea of um, being able to plug and play like Chucky wherever, you know, pun intended. But uh, because I feel like Chucky is pretty versatile in that way. And where else would you send him? Like, where else would you plug Chucky into? Mm. I actually, on the last episode, Devon had you guys were talking about like um like a chucky movie where chucky doesn't actually kill anybody and it's somebody yeah, else and i yeah. thought it would be i loved that idea and i actually it made me think about this question and like what if there was something similar where there was like another serial killer basically stealing you know chucky's kills mm-hmm, kind of like mm-hmm. like a henry lee lucas thing or something like just taking credit for it and then like mm-hmm. you know like what is chucky if nobody knows it's him kind of thing mm. like how does he compete with that because i don't know just like so many serial killers you know it's the it's the notoriety right so what if right. he doesn't have that like how do we see chucky react to that if somebody else is laying claim to his kills and mm-hmm. you know nobody's believing andy i assume the one person who might know what it is mm-hmm. or i don't know just seeing him compete with some other killer or stand mm-hmm. in for a killer i think would be interesting well, well, the scenario to like make it make sense and what I think you know was smart and the way they did here is like okay, it, it has to be with like protagonists that it would make sense for a doll to be around, you yeah. Know? And <laughs> that's the and, big catch. <laughs> and and also like you know for because uh, a kid is you know a little bit more formidable, but this is the first you know Chucky movie not featuring a, a child protagonist in any way because they are in the uh, mental institution they kind of you know play with that aspect i mean uh take a even i think they could even stretch the comedy out it more if they went to a retirement home i think just if it was just all old people with chucky i think that would be mm-hmm. pretty fun um you know and lead to a lot of uh, some some interesting stuff um mm, i don't know there's a i'm trying to, what holiday would chucky work with i feel like I mean, even though the first Child's Play movie is technically a Christmas movie, mm-hmm. but we haven't gotten Chucky on more holidays. I feel like that would be fun. What if there was a Chucky versus Leprechaun movie? <laughs> well, Mancini definitely threw out the idea, like, I want to see Chucky versus Annabelle, which oh, would be yeah. interesting. Um, those are yeah, two very different franchises. That's and then also, like, Chucky versus Freddy, I think, which is a really obvious one. Um you know, I think pretty much anything, anyone versus Freddy works because I love that series. So I want to go in the opposite direction of Devon where you're saying a um, elderly center or retirement community. Here's the thing about the Child's Play series for a series that centers on a child's doll that puts kids in peril. There are not a lot of kid deaths. Yeah. And I mean, like the kids are pretty much no. it's usually only adults. Except in three. Yeah, and three, it's only two of them, though. It's like the bully who's like, and he's almost, he's like a young adult, really. He's not even a kid. Like, he's a young adult. And then there was like Nerdlinger who like jumps on the um, grenade when he's like 12. I'm talking like, put Chucky in a daycare center, okay? You just want him slaughtering toddlers? I just think that like, 
The potential is like, you know, you get like even younger than Andy Barclay. You get like these three and four year olds and that can't even form sentences. Are they going to explain Chucky to anybody? Yeah. I want to remind people I do work with children. (laughs) Um, But you're telling me you wouldn't watch that movie. Oh, I probably would. I mean, come mm. on. But I, you know, it's what I like about Mancini is it's, he's really clever about, you know, addressing certain issues within the world of Chucky. And mm-hmm. like, you know, like this one, there's a lot of gaslighting and there's some stuff about, you know, believing women and believing mm-hmm. people and that the the line between like mental illness and you know, I, there's all sorts of things. And he does that in every movie. Mm-hmm. So you know, it would be interesting to see what kind of message I feel like is a strong word, but like issue or idea that he wants to address because he's so Mm. good about working that stuff in, in a way that feels natural and doesn't feel, you know, preachy or anything. So it would be interesting to see like what he does next. uh, If they want to take on um, like a, like a gentrification type of thing, Chucky starts like you know looking out for like this like small town toy shop that's like going under and it's being threatened and Chucky starts like you know making some like mob boss moves to like save this shop in a way yeah that's the movie we need or what if he like is in an apartment building that gets like bought out and turned Mm. into like luxury condos or something because the other thing is Mancini like always he's obviously like a horror fan and he's a horror expert and so the way that he works in like classic horror tropes just Mm -hmm. like in the last movie was kind of like a haunted house movie what if this was like sort of high rise horror the high rise one but also kind of like the idea of the like native american burial ground kind of idea where like you're moving in and you know taking over something that doesn't belong to you kind of Mm -hmm. thing and like displacing other people like you could put chucky into that scene somehow you know he gets left behind or who knows how you could work it you could work it in chucky at mardi gras when people are doing a bunch of drugs i mean he is he is a product of voodoo i was gonna say yeah that's brilliant like chucky in new orleans would honestly be a blast I have always loved the idea of rebooting the Monster Squad, but instead of using like the classic universal, you know, in the 80s, you use like the monsters from the 30s, 40s, and 50s Frankenstein, the creature from the uh, Black Lagoon, the Wolfman, Dracula, the Mummy. Well, what would be the update of that for modern times? It would be the icons of the 80s. So yeah. you do like Jason. Michael, Freddie, Chucky. Um, Good luck wrangling are... all those licenses. Oh, well, <laughs> at one point you could have done Jason, Leatherface, and Freddie mm-hmm. under the, um, under like New Line Cinema. Like, we mm-hmm. could have had at least that at some point. Yeah. Uh, but you're right. Like that would be a logistical nightmare. It would be know? awesome though. We'll it would get be a comic fantastic. book if we're lucky. Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right, so shooting of this movie takes place from early January until mid-February 2017 in Winnipeg, uh, which is where uh, Curse was shot as well. And as you can imagine, like Winnipeg in January and February is like Hoth levels of cold. So one of the things that was interesting, like watching the behind the scenes on this and listening to the commentary, there were sequences that they tried to do practical effects, but it was so cold that they couldn't. They had to add digital effects so like the scene where tiffany slits like the security guard's throat 
like the blood pump basically froze. Oh, wow. So they're like, yeah, can't get anything out of it. And all the fake blood in there froze as well. So That's they ended like up grosser like, to me for some reason, like imagining yeah. it like just like. Well, think of like blood, slushy slush. blood, like chunky <laughs> yeah. fake blood. Like, yeah, that's not good. Um, Mancini does get a little bit more money this time around, but still not a lot. Like you saw in Curse of Chucky, like they got two and a half million to make it. And that's why there a lot of that movie. Chucky is either static or it's a little person doing a lot of the motion for him because just mm. the cost of doing this movie was like too it would be too much this time around like the numbers somewhere between like five and six and a half million still not a lot of money especially when you consider mm-hmm. the first movie cost something like somewhere between 10 and 14 million dollars to make in 1988 dollars yeah and they in mancini and um oh god why tony gardner the uh, puppeteer talk about this like gardner in particular talks about how they're in the they're they they're not able to build the kind of sets that they would um, like they could for the first few movies where you could have the puppeteers underneath the soundstage moving Chucky. So they show like a lot like basically green screen strapped to a lot of the puppeteers and there are still seven people manipulating the Chucky's. But now you add two more of them to the mix and a lot of times like they don't have a lot of room in order to manipulate the puppets like they would like to do. So it's kind of amazing what they're able to do and how much motion and how smooth it looks, Mm -hmm. especially when you get to the three Chucky's. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I like how even with, you know, those added obstacles with this movie, I noticed they kind of got a little bit more creative with like Mm -hmm. the way that uh, Chucky himself like gets moved around, but without like, you know, him physically moving himself, like, Mm -hmm. you know, he's, you know, going in and out of this asylum with, um, you know, having uh, Tiffany delivering him and like all these different ways, you know, they kind of get very creative with the way that, you know, they can still move Chucky around from A to B without them having to have him move himself. Um, and, and yeah, the, and I'll say, um, in this one, there are, um, there's a couple scenes that are a little bit like, um, awkward looking that like kind of mm-hmm. make me, you know, yearn for the days of the, the early trilogy and like really makes you appreciate those movies too. Like when you go back and watch them and you see how, uh, fluid it was for, especially at the time, you know, just mm-hmm. because they did have a little bit more money back then too. But then, you know, when you see it in this one, um, mainly like the first scene that we see Chucky move when um he's it, luckily it's a very funny scene the one where he's uh, talking to the the um the schizophrenic old lady uh, about yes. like when she was on yeah. the phone great great banter back and forth but man like the walk up to that scene like looks so weird yeah and I'm just like oh man but um but at the same time like yeah for what they're still achieving on a small budget like it's still you know impressive nonetheless but it also like i said kind of makes you appreciate those earlier movies a little more i i i come for forever appreciate that they're practical effects that they're still building these dolls. They're still being operated by puppeteers. You still have like robotics persons, like manipulating the mouth, manipulating the eyes, manipulating the facial expressions. It would have been a very easy decision financially to say, we're going to do it with CGI 
at this point because we can do it faster. We can fix it later on. We don't have to do as many takes and we can just kind of hold up like a dummy for people to react to. But I think that one of the reasons these movies still work so well is that you're using, by and large, all practical effects. Yeah, 100%. That's a huge factor, I think, in like why these actually hold up, I guess, and like why they're actually so enjoyable. Like, I think mm-hmm. you're right. If they went to like a CGI, it would be, oh, oh man, it would be a disaster. That would, I, and I, that would I, break I do my think, heart. <laughs> yeah, it would be awful. I do think that that's part of, you know, just having Mancini involved and, you know, having it be somebody who actually is really passionate and like dedicated to this franchise and obviously has a lot of love for it. Like having somebody who actually cares about it versus just like a, I don't know, somebody who just wants to make a quick buck or whatever, or Mm -hmm. those are the things I think that help with those decisions because he, he doesn't want to see that. He doesn't just want to like make a Chucky movie to make a Chucky movie. Right. Yeah. So, it's he's why to he go that extra step. Yeah. yeah. And it's why he didn't like take the cheese when he was offered like, Hey, for the remake, we'll give you an executive producer slot. You won't have anything else to do with the movie, but you'll get a nice check from it. Like he would have easily made, you know, a couple million bucks just doing that deal. But he was like, Nope, won't do it. Like was almost, you know, and I'm not going to begrudge like John Carpenter or anything. I think he's earned every penny that he's made. And especially when you consider how underpaid he was um, during the peak of his career, but he's well on the record for saying, you know, when somebody asks how I feel about my movies being remade and usually being remade poorly, he's like, Oh, it just depends on how many zeros are at the end of the check. Yeah. Like good for him. And you know what? Yeah. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. If you're comfortable with that, I think it's just, you know, Mancini realized like if he had his name on it and no matter in what capacity mm-hmm. his name would be on it and it would be a stamp of approval. Yeah. And he's somebody that clearly cares a lot about this and isn't willing to put his name on mm-hmm. something unless he can support it. So, so last thing is this movie comes out. It's the first one to come out day and date on Netflix as well as, uh, Blu-ray and DVD and video on demand as well. And what's interesting is the movie leaks onto YouTube like a couple weeks before. Um, so the DVD sales aren't quite what they would have been. And it's also just weird. Like, why would you leak this movie and pirate this movie when it's going to be on Netflix? Like literally two weeks after people this. are assholes yeah. and like just can't wait mm-hmm. <laughs> those are the people on youtube that i'm always like who has the time to do these things yeah. you know that when they just like end up and it's like that's what they're doing it's like oh good question all right so let's talk about the movie proper i think there's a lot to get into here um and i think i want to like start where it starts we are aside from like a very quick you know, like one minute long stinger at the end of the credits for Curse of Chucky. Like we're reintroduced to Andy Andy uh, Barclay proper at the start of this movie. Where do we think of the place that he is at when Curse of Chucky starts? I mean, poor guy. Like, you know, yeah. like he's, he's obviously he's had um, a rough go of it uh, growing up to say it, to put it lightly. And then just like the you know, the effects that, you know, that Chucky has had this last night effect that will kind of never go away, you know, no matter how old he gets and like no matter what he does, 
you know, it's this one thing that's always going to kind of be there that haunts him, you know, literally and figuratively, you know, um, whether it's, you know, him, you know, his uh, date going out or uh, walking out on because she Googled him or, you know, the fact that he then like leaves that date to like go back home and he like still has like a chalky head because mm. like he's just like well i mean can't get rid of you so i might as well like still have a party yes like it's, he has it's the chucky head i mean i think yeah. we're meant to believe that that is like the original chucky mm-hmm. from way back yeah yeah i mean it's a i mean it's a toxic relationship right like nobody like how can you form new bonds and new friendships and new relationships if like nobody actually believes you Mm -hmm. and so like chucky's the only one who like in a sick way he can be himself and like feel validated and like it's like the only person i guess for lack of a better word that actually understands what he's been through Mm -hmm. because his mom i guess is still you know wherever she's at and like like you you just like he doesn't have anybody else so it's like a really sick twisted traumatic spot that he's in it's what I found really fascinating is that it's not, you know, he obviously he keeps Chucky locked up, um, but it is this weird friendship because you think about like Chucky knows that he went on a date and he knows that he went on a date with like a red haired woman. Cause he's like, Oh, did you get a chance to see if like the curtain mat matches the drapes? Ha ha ha. But the only way he would know that is if like Andy at some point, like talk to him about yeah i have a date and maybe he showed chucky like the tinder profile like (laughs) he can't let this doll head go like you know it'd be very easy for him to just like smash it to bits and destroy it and be done with it and move on with his life but he just for whatever reason he can't let it go and he's formed this kind of like perverse friendship with him in a way i did love andy's kind of like cabin in the woods like oh my god like i don't know what andy if andy is a tech bro or yeah what think, is what man, is he doing now he's got a nice big old truck he's got his cabin yeah. like what's he doing all you those know, guns mancini the commentary said that it would have been insurance money um because like his oh. babysitter oh. died his foster parents died but why would he get money for that? I, that's what i'm saying like look <laughs> my wife and i are both insured for like a healthy amount which my wife reminds me when she watches true crime and takes <laughs> notes dateline um, shows <laughs> oh yeah she like is very often fond of saying like you know the insure you, you pay the quarterly premium like yes have done that um he's not getting anything because his babysitter died or like the foster parents he lived with, you know, unless he like sold his life story, you know, and cashed in on that. But I don't think that doesn't seem like an Andy move. Um, So he's done something, but he also has like a really unhealthy collection of guns as well. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, you talk about like why he could kill Chucky at any point, but in some way, like, that's his proof, right? Mm-hmm. That's the only proof he has to be like, look, I'm not yeah. crazy. <laughs> I wasn't right. lying. So it's like he's holding on to that for something. Which it's his validation. The, I- the irony is when he shows it to the psychiatrist, you see that video of him showing it to the psychiatrist and he's like, oh, that's a great special effect. Which oh, yeah, that's right. He does do that. Yeah. Funny because don't. it is what it is. I mean, yeah. like it is a pretty fucking great special effect. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
So yeah, poor Andy is in a really dark place at the start of this movie. And I do like that Mancini is using this movie to bring previous characters back in the fold and really kind of fill things out. Like Jennifer Tilly has more to do in this movie. She gets to really play the femme fatale in this movie. Like she's done up like Tippy Hedren, uh, Hendren a bit, uh, the famous like Hitchcocky and mm-hmm. like blonde that he, uh, Alfred Hitchcock loved to use. Um, Christine Elise makes a very brief cameo as Kyle at the end of the movie in the stinger. Um, but what's interesting is he also brings back actors from the previous films to play new roles in this one. Uh, Adam Hertig plays Mal- multiple Malcolm. He was the cop that kill- uh, was killed by Tiffany and curse mm-hmm. And Ali Taratan is nurse. Ashley was one of the delivery persons that delivered Andy uh, Chucky at the end of curse. And this continues with like the uh, Michael Theralt who plays the psychiatrist in this movie. Like I just watched the last episode of Chucky and I didn't put two and two together until the last I'm like, Oh wait, that's the psychiatrist from that is the dad in uh, the dad in the Chucky uh, TV show who gets stabbed in the butt. At the- yeah movie theater which is so interesting like that would have been cool if they would have if they would have just made work that in because mm-hmm. he was already supposed to be like a rich dad they should have yeah. just folded that in folded like, that right well, in. i mean i guess the fact that dr foley's dead at the end of this but i don't know interesting. Well, and like, a little little creepy a little skeezy yeah. <laughs> What do you make like this movie like Curse of Chucky was like a, a a bottle movie where it all took place in the one location. You have like the old dark house haunted house movie, gothic architecture, a lot of light, a lot of shadow, a lot of places for Chucky to hide. The whole house had this feel that it was like could come down at any time, like the house of Usher. Mm-hmm. And you have another bottle movie because 90% of this takes place in the asylum but this time around like it's a much drastic look like what do you make of the kind of look and feel of the asylum in this movie I mean I loved it I thought it was such a great way to highlight you know Chucky himself because it's Mm -hmm. just like a visual contrast yeah I think that was really fun I love the snow I mean people are always screaming about getting slashers in the snow right and like we get that here and just I mean yeah just the way like the blood looks you know on the snow or the floor like it's great and I do think that it's Mancini I mean hospitals and asylums are clearly like classic horror fare so I think that was his way of also incorporating that just real classic horror setting into a Chucky film Mm mm-hmm yeah, I mean, I I dig it. Um, I, um, I I still prefer Curse as far as the way that the location is used a little bit more, but um, I do like that um, he switches up the visual style, like you know, very much to kind of match it. Like um, the like scene, especially like whenever um, Chucky is brought to lunch at one scene, and like you know, all the walls are super bright white, all the tables, everything, and then he's like literally like glowing almost. Yeah. And um it's a it's a really cool way that they um use him um throughout the film. Um but as far as like because the 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 mental asylum thing is obviously a little bit tough with I mean, not that the series hasn't like been there as far as like dark comedy goes, but then like it, it didn't feel 
it didn't feel like as fun to in this one because like in curse we're having a lot of fun because we're like trapped in this house during a storm with like all these very annoying people mm-hmm. that you just like can't wait for like chucky to like hack up like they were all like kind of us uh, you know sniveling in their own ways versus here it's like you know now it's like kind of this is like again like you know bringing out that point of chucky you know likes to exploit like you know weak people like he goes yeah. he doesn't care if you're in a wheelchair he doesn't care if you're uh you know mentally ill he will still terrorize you anyways which is fun but not but only for a certain amount of time because then it's just kind of like all right now he's just like kind of killing all these people and it's like now it makes me feel like a little sad in a way but this movie is dark (laughs) i mean and we we'll get to nika because i don't think that there's a more tragic i mean when you look at the trajectory of this character yeah curse to cult (laughs) to the end of the first season of the tv show you're just like going through it <laughs> oh my goodness like mancini is working some shit out um like you almost wonder if like someone named nika like used to bully him in like elementary school and he's like i'll show her and just because it goes to some dark places but you know i think that like you kind of hit the hammer on the head the difference between curse and cult like in curse you have characters that all have some sort of agency that end up you know on the chopping block at the end of the day and you know to a certain degree like some are more likable than others are um here you have like a bunch of persons that are uh incarcerated um they are suffering for you know it'd be like if like chucky was let loose in a cancer ward I don't think it would be amusing. Do you know what I mean? Like, it'd be like, Oh, this is actually pretty fucking sad right now here. It's like, well, person's minds have broken down. Um, I guess they tried to get away with it since they're criminals too. I mean, I guess that's supposed to like soften mm -hmm. it, but at the same time, (laughs) yeah, I I do think that there's, you know, he kind of balances it too, because there's, you have this, I don't know, dialogue, uh, underneath the surface about you know believing believing women believing mm-hmm. people and kind of because there are the people working there who are supposedly you know quote unquote normal right mm-hmm. in with these you know more mentally disturbed or mentally ill people and how none of them are believing them and mm-hmm. so it's kind of i don't know picking up and discussing that in a really subtle way about how I mean, there's all this evidence and there's all this stuff going on, but nobody's actually willing to listen to these people because they're just writing them off because that's kind of what society does is you just write them off as like completely not being able to, I don't know. And to be fair, it's a pretty fantastical story. Like this doll is called, you know, it It is, is. but if it's a, you know, it's a self-contained place at Mm -hmm. some point. Like, how hard is it to just be like, all right, you know what? We're going to get rid of these dolls. Like, they keep forcing on on them and like, you need to confront this. Mm -hmm. You need let her be. Like, let her have this doll. Like, let her work through it. And it's like, just take them away. (laughs) Doctor, like Dr. Foley, and it's like, oh, I bought this doll for you at Hot Topic. And you can tell he's lying through his teeth. You know, he's definitely, it's like, it says Chucky. It's like, well, there's a 2% chance it would be Chucky. That's what I purchased. And I specifically bought one. But Dr. Foley with Nika is using like a form of exposure therapy where you have a person face their trauma or the thing that provides them panic or anxiety. And you basically have them confront it until that 
that trigger is basically removed. Like it no longer holds power over them. And there, you know, there is a lot of merit in that form of therapy. Now, in order to do that, you wouldn't lead with the item that is causing someone the trauma. What you would do is you would, under care and supervision, you would have them like use like power of visualization. Mm. And they would talk about the event and you would monitor them. Okay, where's your anxiety at now? Like scale of one to 10. You're at a seven. Let's bring you to a three. Let's do something else. And this is something that as a therapist, I'm learning. So a lot of times I want to like press forward and I'll notice with a client, I'm like, okay, after 15 minutes of talking about something traumatic, we need to take a break. Like this yeah. is some clients can go for an hour and like they would keep going. And some of them are like, all right, I got to monitor for signs and check in and be like, we're going to pull back. We're going to do some mindfulness. We're going to focus our energies elsewhere. And then we're going to dip our toes back in. But you might start with like verbalizing it or writing it down. And then you might have a doll, but it wouldn't look like the good guy doll. You would work up to the good guy doll. Foley is just pushing you into the deep end of the pool. Like, here you go. It's a good guy call named Chucky. Have at it. So, yeah. yeah. And, and I think also, as we and, see, he's a creep. 100%. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's going through a lot of effort to to sexually assault Nika as mm-hmm. far as like, you know, like getting removed to different, a whole different prison and all these different things. But I think it's also interesting that like, you know, Chucky, um, the way that they like kind of explain it for Nika and this is that, um, you know, she got off on the insanity plea that Chucky was her like alter ego, like mm-hmm. that she was blaming it on that she was doing the killings with. Um, I find that interesting and just like the idea uh, of Chucky being an idea, you know, at this point to where it's not just, you know, like, okay, like they're gotten so far past, like, you know, the, the crazy, you know, regardless of how much is happened in the past regarding this doll that they're still like no it's it's still so ridiculous like no it's that's that's not the thing is <laughs> that's your alter ego that's that's what's going on here why so are they still making these fucking dolls like why any excuse anytime they can like find a reason to explain it away to make oh that money oh my god yeah. Yeah. it's all about that it. dollar Maybe right yeah <laughs> that is the that is the the ultimate mm-hmm. villain of uh the chucky series capitalism, capitalism. <laughs> yeah. and w- whenever i think about like well would these dolls still be popular then i have to remember that like when i was a teenager like hot topic sold charlie manson t-shirts Right. I mean, like that, you know, you could find like Ted Bundy on a T-shirt, basically. Um, So it's not like we've ever um, not been total cretins about exploiting other people's pain and tragedy. Um, I do love the interaction Chucky has with Angela, the schizophrenic, when (laughs) he sees her outside her door. Like it's a really darkly funny bit where she's the first person we've seen in any of these movies that like looks at Chucky and is like, yeah, you're not real. I'm not afraid of you. Um, You're not even here. And he has no idea how to, he's like, all right, I'm coming back for you next. Like you're a one crazy lady. Like he's so frustrated by her and it's like perversely funny. Oh, it, she was like, she says, like, whether you're real or not, it's just nice to have someone to talk to. And he's yeah. just like, no, I'm not. I'm not here for you, lady. It, it, um, but I also thought it was funny, like paying off the the joke from earlier that she was like, oh, yeah, Chucky called me last night and then said this. And then he was like, aren't you a crazy lady? I talked to her on the phone. It's like, oh, he actually did talk to her on the phone. Mm-hmm. Um. 
on the other end of the spectrum, you have Madeline, who, number one, she gets one of the creepiest visuals in the movie when she removes, like, Chucky from her breast, and you just see, like, the red dot of blood, like, over her breast, and you're like, that's fucking dark. Um, And you get, like, the reveal. I think it was kind of pretty clear, like, why she was there, but you get the reveal that like she smothered her child to death and was living with this guilt and the way that her and Chucky interact where he is like when he kills her and he puts his, you know, shoves his arm down down her throat. Like it's this really perversely intimate action. And when you think about how babies interact with their moms, like, you know, they're always like grabbing at their face and pawing at them and like, putting their hand their, their chubby little baby hands in mom's mouth and yeah to like turn that around and have like the arm and then to like not only rip out her throat but then you know stick your arm backwards down. and i'm trying to think what movie that was from is it like to cover a bad taste where the arm is popping through the mouth mm. i'm trying to think like what it kind of reminds me of like happy birthday to me with like the, the, the skewer, skewer <laughs> yeah. which we just covered that or just recorded our episode on that for um, psychoanalysis. And I was in a oh, really fun. shitty mood. And I'm like, I hate this movie and I'm going to soak through this recording. I just want to <laughs> leave. It was not my finest moment. Um, but Patrick and Jen did a wonderful job talking about it. So oh, okay. I, I, I just feel like there's a movie that has like an arm popping through the mouth and i want to say it's bad taste but i'm probably wrong so listeners Mm. get get at me on the tweet and let me know um and then you have i'm trying to think um malcolm like multiple malcolm who a like get some like good for him like him and nika have a choice i was gonna say good for her like i mean because there's been five years since uh curse we've mm -hmm. learned in this like that that's also just dark like nika's been rotting away in prison for five years Mm -hmm. um you know on a on a false charge her whole family's dead um all that's just like crazy and but yeah was uh but was very happy for her because even before curse like whenever that like delivery person hit on her she that's what I was like, gonna that say. Was like the first th- time in a long time. So like it's been it's been a long been time for Nika. Five years of lonely nights thinking about that USX delivery person <laughs> dropping <laughs> off that package. Um, so in you know Malcolm's interesting because you're led to believe that Chucky has like taken over his soul. Uh, and taken him over, but I don't think that's the case, do we? I think he's just kind of whispered in his ear and. You know, no, he, was, he was just he her. was I just faking he was. it. Well, because she like doesn't. Oh yeah, because call, then he she gets like, like called out. Yeah, he, it's like he was just faking it the whole time, which I also mm. think is I, I I think it's interesting how he plays with Malcolm and Madeline because it's like actually mm-hmm. Madeline was like the bigger threat, mm-hmm. you know, and Malcolm is you know kind of more just all talk and he wants to be. I mean, part of him like clearly he has some issues, but. There's like part of him that wanted to be perceived that way and like wanted yeah, well, to be take, taken over. 
I mean, I couldn't tell. I couldn't tell if like that's what they maybe wanted you to think, and then like maybe they were kind of teasing the fact that like you know at the end we do see that Chucky possesses Nika, and then mm-hmm. we see that this is possible for him. So it's like I didn't know if that was you know meant to be like you know kind of just like oh yeah like hinting at the idea that they mm-hmm. that this is a possible thing. So I've I've never been sure, but I love that sequence though. Like for that exact reason, I think it's like um you know kind of mancini doing a play on his uh chili bowl scene from curse again and then mm-hmm. kind of uh doing well, a different play on that this time and the death he gets where he's like i can feel him in my brain and then the next thing that happens is a drill goes through the back of the skull and that is, out through the eye yeah that effect i mean that i love like i love it and i hate it like it grossed mm-hmm. me out but i'm like oh that's that, yeah. that good job good job well done and it, it's so fun like watching mancini film this movie like in the the behind the scenes little things because like i think like it was nurse carlos's death in particular that's like super gory and you see him watching it under the monitor and he's so gleeful he's like oh that looks great he's just so happy um i mean i feel like he even he he wrote in his happiness like in the in the kill whenever um chucky mm -hmm. uh hits the co2 tank up into the into the skylight and like the glass like cuts mm-hmm. what's her face's head off and he goes man i even scare myself sometimes like i feel like yeah. that's literally mancini yep. being like man i am like really good yeah. at this like <laughs> <laughs> let's talk Which about is, uh, as you should <laughs> let's talk about mancini for a bit because you know rachel devon is is horror fans like we've all seen more than our fair share of direct-to-video horror movies right like we've suffered through our more like straight to netflix you know Hate to say it, but straight shutter, like shutter exclusives, could be really hit or miss. Um, we've suffered through a lot as horror fans when it comes to direct to video. And a lot of these movies like don't have a lot of visual flair or style to them. And you have Mancini, who is in the seventh movie of a series, bringing some real visual flair and skill to this. Um, you can continue to see him use like a lot of like nods to Hitchcock in this movie Uh, in particular, like the diopter shots that he's using Um, where you have like two characters, the split screens, um, the one I'm thinking of like the rear window shot where Mm -hmm. you see Nika banging on the glass and you see Mm -hmm. Madeline in the foreground. What else do you pick on for like the style that, that Mancini's bringing here. I think there's like, some really beautiful takes here. I mean, I, I've noticed he's, uh, the, he got the split diopter shot from um, Ronnie Yu, who did uh, Bride. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's whenever we kind of see that motif included in, and that's like kind of been stuck in through the series. Like, I think about that, like when I think mm-hmm. about Chucky movies in general. And that's why I do like this one and Curse quite a bit. Um, you know, just because I do like that they gave um, the series a little bit more of a visual identity to them. Yeah. Um, as far as, like you said, like kind of taking these like different horror styles and then like kind of, um, you know, laying that um, that cover over over a Chucky story. Um, uh, I, I really dig it. Yeah. And I think it's like clearly, you know, Mancini's not just a filmmaker, like he's a film lover. And mm-hmm. it's just it's. He's but he's smart about it. Like he's never trying to 
like, I don't know, there's a difference between like paying tribute to something and like copying something. And he walks that line really carefully because you can tell like he's doing it intentionally and he's letting Mm -hmm. you in on the fun. Like he knows what he's doing. And so I don't it's maybe it's just the tone of the child's play films in general that he's able to pull it off that way. But I've just always admired his ability to balance that while keeping it, you know, like it's obvious what he's doing, but it's also I don't know. I, I have such a hard time putting it into words, but like no, it's just—it's executed really well. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's like, like, because I always feel like you know, directors don't want to—they try to be too coy about like you know, showing their influences and mm-hmm. inspirations. And it's like there's nothing wrong with being influenced and inspired by it. Like, so don't hide it. Like, you know, yeah. embrace it, and then like embrace it, and make it make it your own. And then as long as you're doing that, then like you can be confident in doing it, and like you. You, he never questions that he's like just copying something he knows what he's doing he knows that mm-hmm. he's paying tribute to it so he does it in like such a confident way it always like comes out really nicely yeah he does some interesting things where he does a diopter shot but instead of being like a vertical shot it's a horizontal shot where you get like a widescreen um almost like on top of one another two widescreen long shots where your screen is split in two when you get to the cemetery scene. Um, there's a lot of uh, De Palma influence in this, which obviously De Palma mm-hmm. was influenced very heavily by Hitchcock. So you have like a, another reference of the fury, like when Nika like rises up from her wheelchair mm-hmm. for the first time. Um, and you just get like, again, like the, the shot that like Spielberg uses in Jaws, like when, when Nika is like rolling down the hall, you see her like pushes in on her, but pulls out wide to everything else. Like this just like for a movie that is again, going straight to Netflix and DVD and has a really short budget. He's managing to get this real panache to the movie. Like it's nothing that is, it doesn't look plain. It's he is like, he pushes himself in a way that like, I wouldn't, like, as a matter of fact, like, I wouldn't have thought if, like, Don Mancini is, like, a real filmmaker until, like, watching these movies. And, you know, he's also coming off of, like, season three Hannibal and seeing some of the things they kind of, like, do there. And it's like he has that line, like, Chucky has a line in the movie. He's like, man, they never should have canceled that show, which is yeah. kind of wonderful. I, um, I mean, it just proves, I mean, they talk about this with, you know, indie filmmakers all the time. It's like money only gets you so far. Yeah. Like, if you don't have, the skill if you don't have the talent if you're not like i don't i don't know like that only you you're not going to be able to execute something like money mm-hmm. no matter how much money you have if you don't understand composition and you don't understand how your camera works and lighting and those things like <laughs> this film is not going to be good mm-hmm. so it just goes to show that like the skills and talent that mancini has and his vision and his knowledge of filmmaking way makes up for the lack of budget like he knows how to use that budget the right way and the and the patience he has had too because like when you think about you know this series has been going for now 30 years but then it's like he didn't you know start directing until seed and then so it's Mm -hmm. like you know then then you know so it's like by the time you get to this film this is his third film but he's been in the industry he's been with this character for so long you know that like you know the 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 patience like really comes Mm -hmm. through like and being able to like stretch you know that that budget to you know as much as you can 
agree. A couple more things before I fade out here and my, my head just hits the microphone that I come <laughs> out. It's been that kind of day. Um, we got to talk about the three Chuckies because I know it's something he wanted to do since like the third movie and he finally could get them in. Um, I absolutely love the way all three of them interact with one another because that's what brings back some of the humor that we saw with Bride and Seed. And it kind of makes sense is when they interact, they interact like brothers do. Um, and they actually like one another. They don't they don't uh, fight one another. I love Wiffle Cut Chunky. Uh, Wiffle Cut <laughs> Chucky because he's like just this big, chunky doll. Like when he sits up, he's just this like beefy boy. He's the um, he's the one that's just excited to be there. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's almost like <laughs> the gremlins. It's almost like when you have like these characters that all have their own distinct personality. You see that here. And I think you get one of the most creative kills in the series when like all three of them attack nurse carlos and you see him like so excited to like fuck that dude up mm-hmm. oh, yeah. i'm, I'm one arm chucky that's me i'm mm-hmm. one arm chucky <laughs> yeah no, I, think- I love this and it, it pushes the franchise forward they're expanding the universe they're mm-hmm. expanding the mythology like it opens so many doors and that's what you have to do like you're, this is a seventh installment like you have to do something mm-hmm. move it forward like you see this them kind of struggling with this in like child's play three right it's like okay we've seen this before so at least yeah. in this one they're giving us something new and setting it up for future ones to go even further. Really and, smart. Yeah. I think that the setting it up for the future one is perfect because now you have this idea that it's going to allow you to take it in so many different directions. It's almost like when you have like um, Batman comics did like Batman incorporated where like Bruce Wayne without admitting he's Batman basically created a Batman franchise where like all throughout the world different people could be the batman of their country so Mm. now you have like in Mm. the tv show you have these 72 dolls that uh as far as we know are being shipped all over the country and who knows where like it they're gonna turn up yeah Yeah, i mean i I like that i I was worried that the show was gonna like abandon this stuff Mm -hmm. um but i'm glad that they kind of stuck with it because, I mean, it, it is kind of still surprising that it took, like, you know, still seven movies to, like, kind of mm-hmm. really start playing with some of the more ridiculous aspects of this. Like, you know, um, as far as, like, you know, mm-hmm. what, what are the things that you can do with voodoo? And I'm excited to see, like, what the the show um, continues mm-hmm. on with. But I will say it does have my my one gripe out of anything of this very illogical series. Nika... So he possesses Nika. Um, he should not be able. Nika should not be able to stand. Yeah, that's my sense. thing too. That doesn't especially. It, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> no, Nika's yeah. never been able to walk. Even, but even if Nika like was like paralyzed at like at a younger age, it still wouldn't make sense. Like Nika has no muscles there. Like it makes no sense. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's yeah. I don't know. Yeah, the the science. But then again, he also said that he found the the you know the words for this voodoo thing on voodoo's for dummies.com mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so i mean it is also just like updating the from like a uh a paperback text to a a website yeah um but you're right and i think that you know it does introduce like some problematic aspects of the character where a you have like an able-bodied person 
playing a person with a disability uh, when there are persons with disabilities that could play and play the role. But also, mm-hmm. like, it does introduce a suggestion that, like, persons with disabilities are somehow broken or somehow all secretly long like they they can't be seen as a complete and whole person unless they function in a really ableist way and i don't think or even worse that they're like there's something like they're doing that's making them that way Mm. which is kind of like what this Mm -hmm. feels like like oh if you you know obviously you can walk you're just Mm -hmm. Like just, I don't know, not allowing yourself to or so I don't know yeah. what they're saying, but like if you yeah, there's some really, harder. Yeah, there's some really not good issues that yeah. come up with that part of the story. And I I don't think it comes from a place of malice. No. With Mancini, but I just think it's one of it's not a well thought out idea. As much as I do love like her, like on the other hand, you have Fiona Dorif giving like a really phenomenal performance when she's not Chucky, she's Charles Lee. Yeah. And in the show, like when she's made up, like it's eerie how incredible of a job they do with her makeup to make her. (laughs) Now, the one thing I want to add, the other thing this kind of introduces with Charles Lee being in the body of, of Nika is, you know, when when and I don't even know, like he, she, they, like kind of like what would the gender be at that point? Um, it's not really explored. Like when Charles in in Nika's form like runs into Tiffany and they embrace one another, like she fully accepts Charles Lee in that form. Like to her, it doesn't really mm-hmm. care what form he takes. She just wants her. I'm- yeah, I mean, I think at that point that like kind of confirms that Tiffany is like by or pan of some yep. sort, and then, I mean, it, I guess still technically since it's still Chucky's mind, like then Nika is a transgender man at that point. Mm-hmm. Is there's, where is where we're at? And there's yeah, some really talking about like complicated issues. There's some really heavy issues of consent in this mm-hmm. situation because mm-hmm. it is Nika's mm-hmm. body and like yeah. Nika's in there somewhere and she's not consenting to anything. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know what, you know, goes on after Tiffany and Chucky drive off into the snow set, mm-hmm. but like, you know, there could be some, some yeah. rape situations happening in there and like just having your, the, you know, the issue of agency and taking, having your body taken away from you yeah. and used for things that you did not mm-hmm. okay, sign mm-hmm. off on. Like there's some, that I mean, that I guess further, Obviously, these are not good people. <laughs> right. Tiffany and Chucky have some issues. So, like, it just kind of furthers how yeah. selfish and depraved they are. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Oh, There's yeah. ways to work around it. And it's, it's it's Chucky, I guess, is how they get away with it. And that's the thing. It's like you think about the Child's Play series. You think, oh, it's the one with the killer doll that, like, makes a lot of wisecracks. Like, yeah, and it's really campy and really funny and you can't take it serious and then you get to like these last two movies and they're super dark i mean like tiffany confronting nika and telling her about al oh yeah your niece she's dead and it's your fault like she died of a broken heart and And it's tiffany saying it yeah and not only that chucky later on when he confronts nika he's like oh I transferred my soul into your niece's body, 
But the problem with like doing that with a 10 year old girl is she has the proportional strength of a 10 year old girl and she got killed pretty easily. Like that is fucked up. That is so messed up. And also like, I mean, and as far as like possessing Nika is like the, the next step in like, you know, that Charles Mm -hmm. Lee Ray has like always had this, some mm-hmm. some sort of control over the autonomy of Nika's body and mm-hmm. him like you know being like mm-hmm. hey you're in that wheelchair because of me and he reminds her of that like constantly yeah. and also we never even mentioned the scene where Nika is so down and tries to kill herself and right. then Chucky saves her so he can continue tormenting yeah. her yeah like, damn. I forgot about that till, yeah he is evil it's it, it it really, like, to me, I don't know if there are many more tragic heroines in horror than there are of Nika. From, like you said, being paralyzed since before her birth to, you know, having her whole family murdered, including her niece, to being locked up in an asylum for something she didn't do. And that first shot of her where she's getting electroshock treatment, and that's been her life for five years to her doctor like sexually assaulting her and not only that but like the foot fetish thing where she can't feel anything and it's like so to like the kind of like out of body or out of mind experience like i see this person violating me but i can't even feel it like it's just Mm. to if we can spoil the tv series for like a minute folks have you seen the series rachel Oh yeah. So that last shot and you kind of know it's coming from like the, when she wakes up and it's really focused on her like head above and she's really groggy and they basically like Tiffany in order to a not let Nika escape because Tiffany falls in love with Nika in the series but also because like when Chucky takes over her body like Chucky wants to kill Tiffany by the end of the series mm-hmm. she boxing Helena's Nika and it's fucking horrific. Yeah. I never thought about it till you brought this up. But yeah, you're right. Like, Nika's whole life is just constantly being assaulted and dehumanized. And mm-hmm. like, it's a rough, rough go. It's a really hard go of it. You kind of like, I would love to hear fiona dorif's like take on like playing a character like this and like the trials and tribute and we know that she's coming back for season two um i really hope what is the end like i think you know mancini is smart i believe Mm -hmm. and I, i do think that he thinks about a lot of these things so i'm hoping i mean that somehow he's able to kind of tie up some of these things like i really Mm -hmm. hope nika comes back and just has like an incredible like revenge arc almost Mm -hmm. and is like somehow able to like actually take ownership of herself again and do some damage Mm -hmm. and i don't know i want i want to i want to see that nika revenge moment for Mm -hmm. sure we got to either have that or they have to take it like as far as like Nika just has to be a talking head by the end of like season oh, three. It's like she, the end she of can Mars float. She, can, oh. she can float. She's like telepathic and can like float oh, by this point. So it's like, I, we got to get one or, right mm-hmm. one or the other. One or the other. 
So I guess the last thing I have, we'll shift gears a little bit and let's talk about something a bit more pleasant. And let's talk about the score by Joe DeLuca. Um, you know, probably best known for the Evil Dead trilogy, um, but has been working for ever in, in across all genres, but in particular horror, like he scored Curse of Chucky. He returns for Cult. I believe he does the score for the TV series. Mm-hmm. And you have that like kind of, uh, off-key p- toy piano that becomes kind yeah. of Chucky's theme. Uh, Rachel, what is your opinion on, because you are, I would say, much more so than I, like far more scored in um, in film score and horror scores. What's your opinion of, of, of DeLuca's work here? I mean, I love Joseph DeLuca. Just selfishly, I, I got to interview him when he was doing press for the, the Chucky film series, and mm-hmm. he was legitimately like one of the sweetest like nicest most humble people i've ever spoken to so he was i mean personally he was a delight Mm -hmm. but yeah i I talked a little bit about this and this franchise is really interesting because as far as music goes there's been some really heavy hitters that have done some of the music you have joe renzetti and graham ravel pino Mm -hmm. dinaggio like icon and then you've got you know joseph deluca but the like the series didn't really have like a defined like theme like Chucky didn't really have a theme and there was like which is kind of funny because so many slashers you think Halloween and you know Friday the 13th and even Nightmare on Elm Street like these movies have like really iconic themes that permeate each and every film and this one didn't necessarily have that and I do think that it was um in the last one and and that Joseph kind of took that more seriously and define that with more of the the broken kind of toy piano and you see that kind of continuing on which is really cool like you do see that in the the new series and the way that he something i think that he does really good just in general as a composer is really balance that humor and the horror i mean you think evil dead like it's the same kind of thing but he also doesn't necessarily fall into a lot of the kind of classic horror traps I think that as a composer and with this film too, like he's always kind of thinking about the overall picture and not trying to fall into cheap, like, I don't know, jump scares, like musical mm-hmm. jump scares, basically. Um, so I, I mean, I love his work and I like what he's done with the franchise because he, I do think that he's supporting it in this kind of second era that it's found itself in, which just kind of ties everything together. So I hope he continues to work with them. And I think he will. So it sounds like they like working together. So. Excellent. So I think that puts a bow on cult of Chucky and it puts a, a bow on the original cinema series or movie series of, you know, it's going to move over to television and kind of long form, um, storytelling now with a tv show which i'm glad we have so and i you know i don't think we're gonna get a sequel to the reboot um because it's been a few years and there seems to be no talk on that so i think this is where and i know mancini has said he would like to do more movies but i think at this point like we're gonna get like a few seasons of chucky um and then if and when that ends you know, I could see Mancini doing the series until he's 80 because he seems to like <laughs> not grow tired of it. He seems to always have like ideas on how to keep it fresh. Um, and it doesn't, you know, 
I love Wes Craven, but he wanted to distance himself from, you know, horror movies if if and when he could. Uh, John Carpenter, like midway through writing Halloween 2, was like, fuck it, I've got no ideas. You know, he's like, just like, I don't know, make him brother and sister. You know, where like they're like, well, we did this thing. It was great. Let's move on. You know, Mancini is like, I've got this great thing. I've got a million ways I can do it. Like, we haven't tried this yet. Let's see where it goes. And I really love that. I think the series work. It's it's stronger because you've had this wonderful creative influence that um, his own talent has only grown over the years. Um, and it feels like everybody enjoys working with him, too. Like yeah. you see like Jennifer Tilly has a genuine affection for working with him. Brad Dorif like seems to really love working with, with Don Mancini and it feels like this big extended family. And I really, really like that. What are your, both of your final thoughts on Mancini's series as a whole? Um, yeah, I guess that's it. We, we have, how, what are your thoughts on the series as a whole and what the work he's done with this? I mean, it's the same stuff we've been saying this whole coverage, you know, it's you. Well, get I don't remember unique... everything you've said. I mean, <laughs> no, I, I specifically I don't remember like what it... you said 10 minutes ago, dude. I'm <laughs> fucking exhausted. Um, like specific, specifically, like, you know, the, you get a unique flavor whenever you uh, have this uh, ongoing continuity mm-hmm. with uh, someone kind of like he really embraces uh it in a certain way that like you know few people do like in in the fact that you know he loves going to the conventions and like he loves you know like um what you know this um you know where chucky is become you know this staple in pop culture you know like it's it's you know so much bigger than just like you know the series of movies itself just like everything as a whole and now it's like with the tv series i feel like we have this like you know nice new like beginning of like you know i i feel like the series is like brad dorif's like best work is you know chucky as a character like Mm -hmm. so it's like we're getting this like you know the the fact that it's been fueled by this much passion for this long is just like it's it's truly cool to see like it's um it's pretty incredible that like i mean i've been you know that so many people can like all sit there and say like you can have a a 15 year old and then like a, a 35 or a four year old that both can say like, yeah, I remember watching Chucky as a kid and like what it's doing now. Like that's mm-hmm. pretty wild um, uh, for it to be able to pull that off. So um, even though I would have liked for like the, the movies to continue and see what it would have went on to after this. Um, I'm glad that, you know, the series and Chucky as a character is, you know, just had the lasting power that it's been able to, still do what it's doing now i think it's just it's incredible great rachel yourself there's a real heart to these films that is really interesting considering it's about a franchise based on killer dolls Mm -hmm. but i i've always admired this franchise and it's you know particularly with mancini his ability to think out of the box and have fun with it while also like remaining fresh and not being afraid to explore and talk about like expanding cultural values and you know issues like you know gender identity and sexual identity and like just you know complicated issues like that and but also not being afraid to get bloody with it and just the grasp on the horror and the humor 
and also the continuity, like just the world building around Chucky, like especially in these last I'm, I'm saying three because I'm counting the TV series, like where it's going is so mm-hmm. exciting because it, this franchise could have easily gone the other direction and died out or kind of stagnated or stuttered a little bit. But it's kind of the opposite. Like it's got a new injection of energy and passion and they're just killing it. And it's awesome. It's really great to see because as we've seen with some other big horror franchises, that's not, you know, sometimes that's easier said than done. And like we were just, you know, I said earlier, money only gets you so far, but Mm -hmm. sometimes it's the, you know, the heart behind the camera and the heart behind the (laughs) the money and that kind of stuff that actually makes the bigger impact. And I think Mm. that this is, this whole franchise is a real testament to that for sure. And cult of Chucky too, the way that it expands the universe while also building upon it and pulling it all together. Like it's, it's great. It's a a wonderful, remarkable feat. And I applaud everyone involved. Yeah. I would say for me of all the franchises we've covered to date in the nearly three years and 140 plus episodes we've done, this would have been the series I was least familiar with. Mm. Um, I knew the first movie. I knew Bride. I had seen some of the others, but maybe like not had done like a deep watch or like a, a lot of rewatches on them. And I really didn't know like the lore of the series. I think we decided to do it because like the TV show had come out I knew I wanted to watch it. And I'm like, oh, you know what? People are talking about it right now. Like, let's spend a couple months on this franchise. And I am genuinely stunned and appreciative of how much, number one, how the series as a whole isn't afraid to stop on a dime and go on a new new direction Mm -hmm. rather than tell like the same movie over and over again. Um, it's not afraid to change the tone of the movie. It's not afraid to bring in new characters and it's not afraid to build on each of the installments that had come before it. Like it doesn't toss the baby out with the bathwater and say, okay, now what you're going to do, like the hot thing to do right now is like throw out every other movie that has come before it and say, this is your new starting point, which to me is, it's kind of lazy. You know, and I think that it speaks to the fact that like with most of these movies, you're not getting anyone involved with it that really feels like they have to be a caretaker of the series. It's like they're the next hired gun that wants to just put their own stamp on it and to have someone use each previous movie is like DNA building blocks. And but not only do that, but say we're going to use those things but we're going to tell a story. This one's going to be really funny. This one's going to be really campy. All right. We're going to dial back from that. Now we're going to make a serious horror movie again. Um, It just takes a lot of like creative ingenuity and genius to be able to do that. Um, And it's not what I was expecting from a movie about a killer doll that curses at people uh, and bites them. It just wasn't what I was expecting. Um, Yeah. 
uh, and Chucky the the Chucky series is the is the Judas Priest of the <laughs> horror genre. You got consistency for decades. Rob Halford is gay himself. Mm-hmm. It's the perfect. We got the fun and the blood. Like mm-hmm. that's yeah. I think that's, that's a great way to put it. Part. It's <laughs> the other. And when you speak of like the queerness of the series, it's one that hasn't as it's grown more comfortable. Like as it's gotten its feet under it, it is mm-hmm. the one that has like been unabashedly out in itself and not afraid to do so. And, you know, when like Mancini would get notes like, Hey, this, you know, like seed of Chucky, it's way too gay. He's like, well, it's the movie I want to make. So someone else will help me make this movie rather than dial it back. Um, It is a series that like, it's just very punk rock in the way that it's like, we are going to embrace all different types of characters. Like we are going to explore different kinds of stories and make a really big umbrella for everyone. So it's kind of wonderful. Uh, and I really love that it gets to continue on now as a show. Um, Cause you know, to me like TV in a lot of ways, there's not a huge difference between TV and movies at this point. Yeah. Uh, you get to tell like, you know, um a longer long stories story. yeah mm-hmm. so yeah i'm really glad we covered it uh at the same time i'm not someone that is like oh fuck the remake like i really like the re- i watched the remake again on saturday um just to prep for recording uh next week when we do the remake i'm like let me put it in and see if it holds up and i'm like it really did to me if it wasn't called child's play i think people would really enjoy it but i think a lot fewer people would have seen it so yeah Mm. that's where we're at so Mm. all right that is a wrap on cult of chucky so let's do some plugs at this point folks and i think like i said before it's this is the part of the show people skip to they don't even listen to the movie. They just want to like hear the plugs. <laughs> yeah, so, sure. Rachel, where can we find you and what are you working on right now? Sure. Um, I will just say if anybody's curious, uh, my interview, it's a long one. I, it was split into two parts with mm-hmm. Joseph DeLuca. He talks a lot about Chucky and a lot about his other works, which he has some really cool stuff. Uh, you can find that um, on Valingo.com. And then recently, I just recorded um, an episode on Dreamcatcher, the movie for the Losers mm-hmm. Club. So look for that. Uh, How many hours about. did you spend on? Um, over two. Long, mm-hmm. It was like two and a half. So I think we talked longer about the movie than the movie actually was. But that movie is bananas. So it was mm-hmm. not hard to do. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and then um, I do have a couple interviews. I've got one out on film cred right now with dominic scherer who's the composer for the hbo max series the tourist mm-hmm. and then i'll have one coming out soon on dread central um with john Ekstrand, the composer for morbius excellent oh boy hey the music is great mm-hmm. i haven't seen the movie <laughs> but i have heard the mm-hmm. entire score and if you like like 90s EDM or like 90s electronic, you know, house and techno stuff, like there's a lot of influences mm-hmm. there and I, I, I'm into it. I love it. You know, my favorite dig on, on Morbius, it was it really <laughs> made me laugh, was like, be careful out there. My car just got broken into. I had two tickets to Morbius on the front seat of my car. <laughs> Someone broke the window and now there's like four more tickets. That oh. really... 
popped me. Like I, I have not seen Morbius, but like I've also never had my scrotum run over by an ATV. I don't need to do that to know that I wouldn't like it. And I kind of feel like that about Morbius as well. So <laughs> I will not be seeing that. Like, like just, I've read today, like Jared Leto, there's a thing that they're talking to the director where he's like, yeah, like, you know, we had to, create a rule where like if he had to use the bathroom we just wheeled him over because he was like <laughs> basically taking so long on bathroom breaks like to like just shuffle over on the crutches and i guess that's his process and it's like dude not everything what you the know production i cannot wait for you know some behind the scenes thing to come out because there's a lot of cooks in that kitchen for that movie like i already know the movie How that would- got made and shot i have a feeling mm-hmm. is not the movie that got released yeah. let's just say that how is how is jared leto honest question like how has he never just been fucking punched out like, i was shocked when by, i found he out was he by was by ed norton in in, in fight club that in one fight time. club yeah he's 50 sorry he's not a, to go like down to jared leto. i'll say this like, <laughs> like he's a good looking 50 like you know Right. I'm 47 and I look that like is why I'm seeing it. I'm sorry like I don't have to like him as a person to ad- admire his abs <laughs> fair enough I will not and look I will not begrudge anyone if that's your thing like if you love Morbius more power to you I don't want to yuck your yum um, you know but like I just like to me it, it's stunning that like on a routine basis like people just don't like throw hands with him you know and maybe he's like secretly like a kick fucking kickboxing expert like maybe someone does and he just <laughs> like roundhouse them but I yeah he's from I, new orleans he might be you never know i don't know i have my <laughs> doubts i just like he's so insufferable like everything about like he's just it's just like you're too much dude like you're way <laughs> you're way too I'm- much I find him fascinating. There was that mm-hmm. time at the Met Gala, he had a fake head of himself. I mean, that was pretty. Oh yeah. I, I actually saw him on. Um, I saw him on my birthday one time. Not him, but uh, Thirty Seconds to Mars was opening up for Muse, mm-hmm. and Jared Leto was wearing. Uh, he was wearing jeans, uh, a kilt, a basketball jersey, snow goggles. And his foot was also in a walking boot because he had like broke his ankle the night before mm-hmm. and he was and he had a bedazzled cane and he was like still doing it. And I was like, that's Jared Leto. That, that, so that's my Jared Leto right there. Who's the worst? Well, I would say who's the worst Leto, but it's Jay Leto. Like worse. All right. So worst JL, Jay Leto or Jared Leto? Like if you had to get rid of one, who would you get rid of? Oh, that's one spot. has like. An incredible car collection. Yeah. Like the best car collection in the world. One of them screwed over Conan O'Brien and David Letterman. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I, I don't know if I can forgive that. (laughs) At least one of them gives us funny stories to talk about, you know, from time to time. I went through a phase where like I got really into the history of late night TV last year and read all these books and watched all like my my self-care was literally like looking up like don rickles routines on the tonight show and making my like ten, then my 11 year old watch them with me and try to explain the genius of don rickles and she wasn't having it she was just like no <laughs> dad stop. dad stop i was, I was dad, one embarrassing me 
I was wondering if the podcast was going to get hijacked by Morbius. And <laughs> Sorry, I apologize. Rachel, where can they find you? Where? What are your socials? Before we... You can hear me uh, standing Morbius. At a, but I haven't seen it, but you know, whatever. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Vinyl Girl, G-R-R-R-L, and um, on Instagram at The Vinyl Girl. Yeah. <laughs> Devon, what's going on with the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club and Breaking Waves? Hey, on uh, Bloody Blunt Cinema Club, it's the summer of Morbius, but it's still springtime. <laughs> I hate um, you actually, so much. I hate you. <laughs> but actually, though, by dead accident, the first movie uh, that we're covering for our Aliens Month of Bloody Blunt Cinema Club is the movie Life which was directed by mm-hmm. Daniel Espinosa, who mm-hmm. just directed Morbius, <laughs> and uh, same composer as well. Yeah, um, Did that by complete accent, because mm-hmm. I just love that movie. I love the movie life. But uh, yeah, so we're covering Aliens. We'll be talking that, and Slither, and The Blob, and uh, some other fun stuff, so you can Excellent. find us. Uh, we drop episodes every Tuesday. Uh, Breaking Waves, we just wrapped up season one, so we are on a break from that podcast, but uh, you can watch it on YouTube at the uh, Beta Wave TV YouTube channel, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at underscore Daddy Disco. Excellent. Well, listeners, you can find me at Mike underscore Snoonian. Uh, you can hear my other show, Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast where by the time this comes out, I would say like the last couple episodes, I've been pretty grumpy. Um, and I kind of go into that a little bit of that on the show. Like it's been a rough, it's been a rough month. Um, so you can maybe dig into the archives and hear happier Mike. Um, but on psychoanalysis this month, we are covering dreams. So by the time this out is out, our episode of Mahalan drive is out, which is a really lot of fun to cover. It was my first David Lynch movie that I've ever watched, um, and I loved it. Uh, and we are covering, uh, if you haven't heard me talk about Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors enough before, we are covering that as our second episode on Dreams. And we have some very fun comfort horror episodes, like uh, Happy Birthday to Me with Patrick Hamilton from Kill by Kill. So you can find that everywhere. You get your podcast. Our patron, I put on pause for a bit. I am going to um, look at what we can do to revamp it. And maybe we cover the TV show as a little gift for the patrons. Uh, I won't give anything out for that yet until we officially relaunch it and say, here's some bonus stuff you get. I'm trying to, I did put a pause on it for right now, just so we can kind of relaunch what we do. Um, but stay tuned. Like what we have coming up is for the pot and the pendulum is really fun. We have our first ever crossover episode with our friends from disenfranchised, uh, Steven, who's become like one of our regular panelists now is the co-host of disenfranchised. We are going to do the child's play remake reboot as our next episode. And that will put an end to this franchise from there. We are going to finally tackle Scream 5, Scream 2022, because now that it's out on VOD and on Paramount Plus, everyone has had a chance to see it. It is, I don't know if that or X are my favorite movie of the year, um, but I loved the new Scream. So that's going to be a really fun one to cover in between the child's play remake and scream 2022 uh jessica scott and i are going to 
do a little trade-off where she is going to talk about the joys of one of her favorite movies, Jawbreaker, from, I think, 1999. And I am going to basically bore her to tears while I convince her why Jawbreaker, the band, is the greatest band of all time. Um, As this is posted, I am just getting back in from Denver to see them flying across the country to see them because I fucking love them so much. And... Oh, God, I love that band. Anyway, that'll be Jawbreaker versus Jawbreaker uh, as a fun little bonus show. Once we wrap all that up, we are taking this summer, we are heading down to Texas, um, one of the shittiest states of the country. And it's a WrestleMania fan like Kevin Owens versus Stone Cold. Loved it. Mm -hmm. It made me not weep openly, but cheer like a bastard. But Kevin Owens talking shit about Texas should have made him a good guy as far as I'm concerned. But we will be talking the Texas Chainsaw Massacre for the next few months. That is going to be... Let's get sweaty. Talk about some swings and misses, all right? Talk about a franchise with some... I don't think any series has a bigger gap between the best and worst movie in the series. I mean, it's going to be a wild ride in the meantime please rate review and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts um and thank you for listening and we'll be back very soon with child's play 2019 we are out of here